Overthinking its recap of Breaking Bad. Season 5 Episode 9. Blood Money. glad that Breaking Bad is here. I'm Pete Fenzel. Regular host Matt Rather can't be with us this afternoon because uh, he is still watching Breaking Bad. He's in the middle of season four. <laughs> so hopefully by the time we get to the end of this season, uh, Rather will be able to join us. And let me make sure I turn off the vibrator on my cell phone so that uh, nobody discovers any incriminating evidence of other communications that are happening while we're doing this broadcast. Well, thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. You heard uh, a deep baritone laugh before, and I'll introduce the panel in just a second. Since this is going out on the podcast feed, we're going to kick it off with a little question of the week, which is a little thing we like to do here at Overthinking It. And today's question of the week for Breaking Bad, Season 5, Episode 9, or Season 5 and a Half, Episode 1, or Season Remember My Name, the first. Panel, what character from star trek past or present would win in a blueberry pie eating contest we will of course go in alphabetical order and start with john parrish john how are you doing ah craziness i'm never first in the alphabet this is this is sheer insanity so obviously i'm going to respect the spirit in which this challenge was given in the episode of breaking bad blood money that we watched limited to just the original series of course as i have to uh in which case obviously the winner of any contest of skill, much less a blueberry pie eating contest, would be genetic Superman Khan Noonien Singh of the of the Space <laughs> Seed and of course of the movie Star Trek to uh, the Wrath of Khan. Uh, clearly, you know, with with full mental control over his autonomous biological processes, including uh, including digestion and uh, regurgitation, he would be able to actively manage the pie content in his belly as he you know as he swallowed and subdued it awesome next do you think so who do you think would win in the pie eating contest rich corinthian leather ricardo maltoban con union sing or uh or deep uh, baritone voiced uh large adam's apple uh 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 Gosh, Benedict Cumberbatch. I almost said Engelbert Cumberbatch, but that is not his name. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch Khan from Star Trek Into Darkness. Engel, Engelbert Cumberbatch. Uh, <laughs> clearly, clearly Ricardo Montalban. I, I, I have greater faith in his ability to, to live life to the fullest, to suck the marrow out of life, to, to borrow the poetic phrase, and to, and to eat a large quantity of pie. Benedict Cumberbatch, I don't see eating a large quantity of anything. He looks like he takes very dainty bites. Really? You, you don't think that the giant choppers of his that he shows off in uh, Star Trek Into Darkness are really able to sink into some Sarah Lee? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't see it. I mean, maybe it's my le- lack of vision. I just don't see it in the man. All right, fair enough. Shana Malowski, now that we are, we are laser-focused on uh, Breaking Bad right now. So tell us, what Star Trek character would win in, a, in Badger's pie-eating contest? Well, when you asked the question, uh, the first thing that popped into my head, um, which actually pops into my head whenever anyone asks me any question, is the trouble with Tribbles. Mm -hmm. And if you remember that episode, the Tribbles um, ate everything, um, like grains particularly, and uh, there is some grain in pies. So I thought maybe um, there could be a character who is secretly feeding a pet Tribble or a bunch of uh, pet Tribbles under the table. So then I thought back in the episode, The Trouble with Tribbles, who got along with the Tribbles? And I believe Uhura was getting along pretty well with the the Tribbles. So I think that um, she could do pretty well. She would be the... um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Well, like the, the black the horse, but I didn't want to the say it in that way. Dark horse, horse right? Yeah. <laughs> in that way, because <laughs> anyway, anyway, yeah, Uhura, Uhura. All right, excellent. Uh, I'm Pete Fenzel, and I am. I guess we've started with with uh, TOS. So I'll carry it through to TUS, and I'm going to say uh, Bones. I'm going to say that Bones really likes pie, and it's going to be a surprise piece of character development. He just loves pie, and that he had a stomach operation, and thus he eat tremendous amounts of pie. Uh, all right, so Breaking Bad. Uh, I guess we started talking about the Star Trek episode, Badger's spec script for Star Trek. Um, was I alone in thinking that perhaps this spec script of Star Trek was prophetic and was going to give away all the events of the final season of Breaking Bad? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's worth it's worth commenting on, and that, this actually is something I wanted to talk about, independent of the question of the week. So I'm glad we're we're launching right into it, because after this, I'm pure out of, of subject matter. <laughs> um, I feel like, well, first of all, Breaking Bad, to set aside my pretense of objectivity for a moment, is phenomenal. Probably the best thing on television currently. And I feel like in a lesser TV show, a scene like that would be purely a comic aside like it'd be oh here's a here's an opportunity to catch up on these comic relief characters and have a bit of zany fun with them but it's not going to add anything to the plot you know whatever it's you know it's just building building comedy whereas in a show like breaking bad you know every scene is pointing like an arrow at the heart of the episode at the at some at some theme or some recurring thing to touch on so uh first off i think the choice of i think the choice of the pie being blueberry and you know being being connected visually to the to the blue math is is an obvious connection there we're not meant to we're not meant to look at that accidentally uh the other obvious connection i'm seeing is the the subject matter itself taking something that we typically view as fairly light and stock and predictable that is to say an episode of star trek which you know people died on it occasionally but it's it's fairly light it was primetime tv from the mid 60s so it's not going to be it's not going to be really gritty or disturbing in the way that you know hill street blues or even er or say breaking bad are uh and yet all of a sudden badger injects this really dark tone to it by you know scotty's this really out of nowhere bit of grotesquery with scotty's guts being beamed out of his stomach or not Scotty's, uh, Chekhov's guts being beamed out of his stomach by Scotty, and Chekhov, you know, vomiting blood, and then dying uh, during a pie-eating contest on the Enterprise. It's... I just imagine him saying, my Weezer! Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Uh, uh, but it's, it's, that, it's that bit of out-of-context absurdity that turns into grotesque violence at the least expected time that really is a hallmark of Breaking Bad, and it would be completely out of tone in just about any other show on TV, short of like Oz or something. Right, right, right. Definitely. Shana, what did you think about the uh, the Star Trek into Breaking Bad? Well, um, I do want to disagree with uh, John, sorry, very briefly and say that um, if you will recall, there was a Star Trek fan script on Mad Men as well back in the day <laughs> with um, Kinsey, right? So it's not the only show, Breaking Bad isn't the only show in the air that can do that. But yes, I think the tone of it is very particular to Breaking Bad that uh, very, very dark comedy. Um, the interesting thing to me was not only the blueberry pie story, although that was great, um, but the amount they were talking about uh, the transporter situation um, hmm. and how it kills you over and over again. 
um, which is another situation where uh, it seems like all fun and games, but then turns out to be something incredibly dark. Um, and I guess both of the stories, that one and the blueberry pieing story, have to do with the transporter. So maybe they're going for something there. I'm not exactly sure where they're going with it yet, but something I, I about like I don't know doubles or I don't know. Well, I, I think transformation and doubles; those are a big themes in the show throughout the show. Yes. Right? I mean, that John, you were going to see President that probably jump. Yeah, right I see that in particular with Jesse because you know, I mean, given I mean, Badger and Skinny Pete, awesome characters though they are, they they really exist to serve as foils to Jesse. So, like, this is a bit of again cinematic misdirection. Again, phenomenal, phenomenally shot and produced show. This is a scene about Jesse, even though Badger and Skinny Pete do most of the talking in it. Yeah. So. In light of, and this is an excellent point, John, I hadn't really considered it in this light, but in light of what we see later, uh, Jesse's big uh, conversation with uh, with Walt at the end, where Walt comes over, Jesse more or less confronts him straight out at having killed Mike Ermintraub, which we know he did two episodes ago. And Walt, you know, looks him right in the eye and, you know, not only lies to him, but says, I need you to believe this. And I think it's pretty clear in in that context that Jesse that Jesse doesn't believe him. Like Jesse, I don't think Jesse buys that story. Oh, not, not, not even for a second. It's really okay. that Jesse doesn't believe it for even a second. I think. Yeah. Which again, phenomenally done in the way that whole scene is set up. So I, I think what we're seeing is like the point of that story that Badger and skinny Peter recounting is that every time you enter the transporter, you're killing yourself and it's a slightly altered copy of you that's emerging somewhere else. We've seen Jesse undergo a number of traumatic incidents over the course of these last five seasons. There's, you know, getting involved in shootouts with drug dealers, there's getting held up by drug dealers, there's being threatened by Tuco, there's watching Walt run someone down that he was about to kill, there's having to kill Gale, etc. I mean, just on and on over and over. So I, I think I think Jesse is, I mean, not literally on the button, but I think he's he's seeing that in himself, that every time he goes through this process, He's he's emerging from a, a different person. He's lost that element of himself, that innocence where, you know, yes, he was a meth dealer when the when the show started. But he was he was treating it with sort of a like juvenile fun. And yet over the course of, I think, a year of showtime, he's he's undergone this harrowing transformation by by virtue of transporting himself and dying several times. That's a really, really good point. And as you were saying that, I was thinking, um, I think it was Skinny Pete who said it, when he said, you know, that's science, yo. And that was such a callback to Jesse back from, I guess it was the first or second season where, you know, science, bitch. Um, and <laughs> yeah, again, back then it was fun and, you know, all of games and whatever. And now we're having... Uh, sort of new version um but it it's not the same it's like a degraded version and jesse can't even see right. it as fun anymore uh, even this conver even this simple conversation isn't fun anymore yeah he can't he can't be in the same room with guys joking about death given that he's killed quite a few people <laughs> Yeah. Well, I also felt that there was a more direct connection to Jesse as they're describing the characters, right, in the pie-eating contest. They say that it goes yeah. down to three people, right? So it's Chekhov, yeah. uh, Kirk, and Spock. And Spock always wins because he has the logic, right? Yes. And then, and then they say, and then Kirk gets to the point where he can't take it anymore. So mm. when Badger says that Kirk gets to the point that he can't take it anymore is the moment when Jesse, like, shifts in his chair and gets up and walks out. 
Uh, so it like very clearly connects Jesse with Kirk. And then this, of course, to me, connects Spock with uh, Walt, who is the guy yes. who always wins and who's really logical. And then yes. it's like, well, if it's down to three, who's the third person? Who's the Chekhov who gets his guts beamed down in this face? Probably Mike. <laughs> right, like, I mean, there's a couple of situations where it's Jesse Walt and one other person, right? Yes. When it's like, when it's Mike, or when it's like Friday Night Lights guy, they go with Gus, yeah, or Gus, or any of those things. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I was wondering whether is it does this mean that the season is going to come down to like Walt and Jesse and like one other guy, and like that guy's guts are going to get beamed out in space by some <laughs> intervening figure from the side, or is it more a case of because I think one of the things I heard Vince Gilligan once say about the show is that when they're writing the show, they like to pick the most surprising thing to happen that they can think of. Uh-huh. Right? Like they don't have like the overarching plan of the show already figured out, but they, they set up a whole ton of foreshadowing and expectation, and then you get to a certain point, and then they want to sur- really shock you, like really surprise you, but still kind of own up to and deserve all the buildup that happened ahead of time. Yeah. Right, And so it's like, okay, we have all this foreshadowing. We can put this story in here. And it doesn't necessarily matter how it plays out. There's, we have a lot of options that would be satisfying. But it's a really cool like foreshadowing element that's in there. Yeah. I mean, to your, to your point about you know, it always being three guys like Walt, Jesse, and someone else. Like Almost every time we have the triumvirate, the third person dies. Like Walt, yeah. Jesse, Gus. Or Walt, Jesse, Mike. Or Walt, Jesse, Gale. Or like... Pick the two of them, and any third person, they're almost inevitably dead. So, I mean, that's that's a that's a very that's a very astute observation. Um, and to the to the point about Spock, you know, Spock always wins because he has logic, because he has perfect control over his. He has perfect control. He said that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that that struck me again in the in the conversation between between Walt and Jesse, where Walt always positions himself as the logical one, but. It's it's pretty clearly, and we see it very explicitly in this conversation, it's not logic as a rigorous adherence to classical processes, as it is logic as rationalization. Walt is, and I think this is hardly new, very good at rationalizing. And I think I think Jesse's at the point now where he's seeing through that, where he's no longer cowed by the fact that Walt Walt has superior argumentation. You know, that Walt has this this very haranguing process sometimes when he's talking to Jesse or Skyler or someone like that, where he acts, where he acts as if, you know, he's got reason on his side. So it's not like, it's not like Walt's being an overbearing, you know, asshole and trying to impose his opinion on someone. Look, I'm just being reasonable. Let's talk about, you know, all the ways that this could, you know, put us in jail if left, you know, if left unresolved. Do you agree with me? Okay, great. Then we got to kill somebody. Uh, But it's, and I, I think we see here pretty explicitly that it's clearly him rationalizing. And I think the turning point for that is when Jesse uses his own words against him. He said, you said this was blood money. And Walt's like, well, yes, I was speaking in the heat of the moment. I was just saying that to win an argument. So it's the implication is, you know, pay attention to my reasoning when it serves my ends. When it doesn't, clearly I, I was kidding at that point. Like, clearly you can ignore that. Like, ig- ignore my arguments when it suits me. Pay attention to them when it suits me. Yeah. I, I wanted to connect this back to one of the earlier scenes in the episode, uh, in this particular episode. By the way, spoilers throughout this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be talking about new episodes the whole time. So if you've already had a bunch of stuff spoiled, apologize for that. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so there is a moment uh, at the car wash when Lydia shows up, right? Yes. And where and where Skyler goes to Walt and says, "Who was that?" You know, like, oh, you know, who gets a car rental car wash? You know, who was it? And Walt says, "There's a former business associate who wants me to come back, and I'm not going to do it." Yeah, and I was shocked 
like shocked by this moment because it was like the first honest thing, like on actually true and vulnerable and honest thing that Walt has ever said to anyone. Yes. <laughs> I think certainly the best thing he's ever done for in his marriage, like ever in the show. Yes. Right? Uh, so uh, it just felt like, wow, this character is, is starting in such a far away place from where he's been. Yeah. Uh, Do you guys have a reaction to that kind of stuff? That part of the show, the sort of beige Walt, like Walt, Walt, Walt and Skylar and matching beige, kind of like withdrawn from yes. the, the uh, virulence of their previous lives. I, I liked I liked the car wash scene because you can see a balance of power sort of teeter tottering at that point. The the scene begins with Walt making a very small point about the like the layout of air fresheners near the cash register or something. He's like, oh, I I have. You know, they're very high margin items, right? And she says, yeah. It's like, well, okay. And then he amasses all these arguments for why they should be, long story short, why they should be laid out the way he thinks makes sense. And Skylar, you can see, isn't very engaged in this argument. She she realizes at this point that it's more about Walt getting his way than about necessarily maximizing profit on this, you know, 30 cent item. So she's like, yeah, okay, fine. We'll, we'll, we'll see. So then he presses that point a little further to try and, I guess, push the envelope and establish a little more control. It's like, oh, we should, you know, buy a new car wash. And as he walks away, the camera lingers on Skylar for a moment as if establishing that she's realizing that Walt is doing his thing again, yeah. by which he slowly subverts power in any given relationship through, like, minimal little accretions of logic and reasoning until the point where he is once again completely in charge of the situation. Uh, even though this is, you know, her car wash, clearly. And the scene ends, of course, with, you know, Walt confessing this, you know, this relationship, uh, the business relationship with Lydia, and Skylar going out of the car wash to confront her, to tell her point blank, you know, leave and never come back. And that is, that to my mind was Skylar reasserting control as well, saying like, you know, I respect that you're being honest, but I am going to take charge of, you know, our... I guess the, our role and the car wash's role in our continuing criminal business enterprise, uh, I am going to assert myself. I am going to be the one in charge here. So balance of power shifts one way at the start of the scene, balance of power shifts the other way at the end. So that was, again, a phenomenal bit of interplay there. Mm-hmm. I think Skylar also in that scene, there, there's a one scene in between those two scenes um, where she sort of, I guess, gives in once again to Walt's power for her own gain when um, he's talking about buying a second car wash. And Mm -hmm. at first I thought she was going to, you know, not be listening, like she wasn't really listening to the air freshener idea. But then suddenly, like on a dime, she turns like, yeah, I really like that corner. I want that, you know, and sort of all of a sudden is like, I am giving in to you, Walt, because I think I'm going to get something for me out of it. And so, yeah, you you do your thing once again. And, I mean, it's not really for love or for the marriage. It's for, <laughs> you know, personal benefit. Yeah, it's expediency, which is all that's keeping this marriage together at this point. But Absolutely. You know, other marriages have failed with less. <laughs> Well, you see, they're they're not they're not focusing on the darkness behind them anymore. They're they're moving <laughs> forward, right? How about that for like a shot, right? Of like you know, don't focus on the darkness behind you with Walt like out of focus, deep in frame, and Jesse like in focus. Yeah. Right? Like, um, man, geez, yeah. What do you think about that? About the confrontation? I mean, there's a lot. There's like we're we're starting with really specific specific stuff. I mean, if you guys want to blow it out, to kind of big terms talking about the episode in general. Well, I mean, we also get to, to not leave the car washes yet. We get a bit of that in the car wash because, you know, it's 
I mean, I'm, I'm just now seeing this and, and mentally reconstructing the episode. I mean, the, the interior of a car wash is a pretty dark place. And I think the scene actually starts with, with Walt and Skyler outside. So, you know, they're in bright, you know, New Mexico sunlight. And there's the interior of the car wash, which is vaguely dark. Lydia drops her car off. The conversation happens while the car is being uh, car is being seen to, and then she's she's driving out, or she's her car is being driven out of the car wash, which is you know under this shaded overhang. So they're in this pool of darkness essentially, with the the uh, sunlit street out ahead of them. When when Skyler tells her off, so there's very much that transition from light to darkness to light again over the course of that scene. So there's. I don't know if that's a deliberate callback to, you know, the darkness behind us or whatever, or that, or just whatever. But there's, there's definitely, they definitely take advantage of the, the natural motion of a car wash, the, the organic, you know, I guess traffic that a car wash has in order to give that scene some momentum as well. Like that scene has to really kick off into its, uh, into its moment of tension when Lydia shows up. And it really has to come to a climax when Lydia leaves. I mean, it has to also create uh, a plausible sense that their marriage could be okay, like that w- that they could go forward the way that they are, and things might conceivably be fine. I mean, it's, we know that they're not going to be, but I guess that light to dark to light, like ending on light with lots of honesty, and Lydia gets driven out. You yeah. know, uh, it, it, it has to make something something we have to start somewhere before we go. And of course, we move very quickly, even in this episode. I was yes. just kind of surprised and pleased but surprised by how quickly Walt gets back to his old tricks, at least in terms of his personality. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's just embedded in him at this point. Like he can't, he can't help but lie to like, it, it just comes to him instinctively. Like mm-hmm. to your point, which would, you know, which we've been circling about the, about the conversation with Jesse, which is kind of the, one of the dramatic centerpieces of the episode where I guess Jesse comes to the realization Although really, I think he's realized it before that, you know, he he absolutely can't trust Walter, that he real he thought he was in this with Walt because, you know, they'd both done these terrible things together. And he realizes that, no, he's really in this alone. He has no one to turn to. He can't go to Saul. He can't go to Walt. Uh, He was looking up to Mike as sort of a pseudo father figure. And now Mike is dead. So, like, really, Jesse doesn't have anybody in the world. Yeah, I really felt like that scene uh, between Walt and Jesse was also very much about a choice that Walt could make there to leave Jesse alone. But he could have just said, you know what? It's all good. Here's the money back. That was a stupid idea, but like, whatever, see you later. But, and and he makes that choice to try to press this lie. And I felt like this was a mistake if he wanted to continue in the life that he was going to have, because of course for Walt, it doesn't really matter whether Jesse stays out of his affairs, right? Or whether Jesse just, you know, whether he's not really worried that Jesse is going to give the money away in a way that gets him in trouble. Um, He sort of makes the choice to move from being worried about that to being worried about like, do I have control over Jesse still, which is Mm -hmm. something that he's always needed. Right. And so that, that scene that, that, that like that turn where he said, you know, I need you to believe this. I really felt, felt tragic to me. Like, okay, this is the thing that's going to come back. This is the thing that Walt won't be able to let go of that's going to you know, push conflict, that's going to drive this season forward toward its inevitable Hello Carol conclusion. <laughs> or yeah. Hi Carol, yes. Um, <laughs> and the real tragedy is those groceries that just fall on the ground. I know. Yeah. And of course, oranges. you know, or- oranges rolling out of the grocery. 
course. And those kids who are doing the skateboarding, you know that they're not going to get the skateboard there anymore once the guy comes back with the machine gun. And skateboarding, all they always lose. Skateboarders that's, are always the That's clearly what he's there for. He drove back from New Hampshire to get those kids. Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Shana, what do you think about any of this stuff? Um, well, I was wondering, maybe we should talk about that first scene because i always love um the cold opens of breaking bed they're always so wtf but that one um the most interesting thing to me other than the hello carol which was just hilarious was um (laughs) that big uh scene with uh walt in front of the wall with heisenberg behind him like that emblem of everyone or at least someone knows who he is and it you get the impression that he is famous from uh, that, from the uh, thing with Carol. Um, but it's also the scene, uh, if we're talking about dark and light, is so dark. It's almost like a horror scene in a way. Yeah. Like he's in this haunted house. So uh, it seems like he's becoming like a, a monster figure. I mean, I guess Heisenberg has always been sort of this um, legendary figure in people's minds. But now he's becoming something more like a Bloody Mary type of figure, <laughs> like um, yeah. a ghost or something like, like that, which I find fascinating. Like Red Rum, yeah. And yeah. they think he like they're acting almost as if he's dead, but he's still alive, even though he should have been dead, you know, seasons ago. It's like, <laughs> I guess he's like a zombie in a way. Well, they yeah. have that great shot where the broken mirror reflects his face without his yeah. eyes, right? And that's like yeah. monstrous. He's been, he's been sort of ogre-ish for, for several seasons. There was, uh, I made this observation in a post with, um, I was either blinky or, or with you, Shane, when we were talking about Breaking Bad uh, several several seasons ago, uh, where like in season three, which is the season immediately after the plane crash in Albuquerque, and they have that uh, that assembly in the in the school in the high school gymnasium, and like the kids are coming up to the mic and sort of expressing their feelings in that very sort of clunky, ill-formed way that shocked teenagers have. And Walt, and we have, we have a shot of Walt who's just sort of standing in the middle of the gym with his arms wrapped tightly around himself, scowling. And he just looks like, and I, rem- I rem- remarked on this at the time, he looks like a, he looks like an ogre. Like he looks like he's physically discomfited at human emotion, at human sentiment. And now, you know, here we are in season five, midway through, nearly at the end, and we have him almost literally as an ogre. Like, he's he's not quite disfigured, but his skin is drawn very tightly around his neck. He's got His beard is no longer neatly trimmed. It's, like, scraggly and off-putting. His mm-hmm. face looks sunken. And he lives in this castle on the hill that, you know, the cool teens will go hang out with because, you know, it's, oh, it's a cool place to skateboard or whatever, but I'll, I'll bet they don't hang out there after dark. Like, I bet it's not a place where kids go after dark to smoke up. Like, no one wants to be there when the sun goes down. And, of course, Carol sees him there and is is literally, you know, open mouth with shock. Like, she, I mean, she clearly thinks that she's going to die or that someone is going to die very soon because here's here's my neighbor, Walt White, showing up again. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, so clearly something terrible happens in the next couple of episodes. Spoiler alert, something bad happens to Walter White or people he knows. What? <laughs> crazy talk i mean we see the beginnings of it heading into the end of the episode we see the sort of the cragginess of his face right like yeah. especially in the scene with hank i felt they really brought out the wrinkles and like the yeah, almost, like yeah. graphic like graph graphic in the sense of like graph paper like there's just like rags <laughs> and, and ravines that are crisscrossing his face yeah. and, like, i'm a dying man 
Right. So like, let's, you know. let's talk about that. Let's talk about that, that confrontation with, mm-hmm. uh, with Hank at the end. Cause, uh, I really like how, I mean, this is, this is, a, and Pete, you'll, you'll value this as an improviser as well. This is a, this is an episode full of people playing to the top of their intelligence. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, Skylar, you know, Skylar figures out that Lydia is, you know, there to see Walt in the same scene. Like she, she gets the, she gets the keychain and she figures it out pretty much instantly. Mm-hmm. Walt, you know, realizes that uh, Leaves of Grass is missing. And about two minutes later, he puts together like, hey, you know, Hank kind of left in a, in a hurry, you know, what's up with that? And then, you know, Hank, of course, very quickly assembles the various clues that he needs from, you know, boxes of evidence to put together conclusively for like his purposes that walt is in fact heisenberg that he's the man who's been searching for all these all these episodes yeah yeah it is really cool how quickly it moves forward and i mean it it kind of raises the um i think that's one of the the phenomena of contemporary television is that one of the things about the sopranos for example which i guess isn't quite contemporary but current generation i suppose or even the previous generation was that every episode i felt like this is the episode where everyone is going to die, right? And it's like, and it's like next episode, there's no way everyone's going to survive. But then, of course, like it all turns out to be fine, right? Yeah. And then, of course, like the big, the sort of macro fulfillment, like the major work of fulfillment for this is lost, where it just like all turns out to be a circle jerk, right? Like it's like there's no explanation that's satisfactory for any of the things. It's been it's suspense all the way down, right? It's like things going to happen, things are going to happen, things are going to happen, and. Um, it's it's rare that a show has the guts to say to like put out there. Here's a thing happening. Right? Yeah. Like, here's the thing that is changing the characters in this serialized show like irrevocably. Uh, you know, like, like once Hank confronts Walt about the fact that he knows that Walt is Heisenberg, like that forces a lot of issues. Yes, right? like, that's not something that they can just sort of live with, right? No. Like, so it's definitely it's great and it's it compels i mean aristotle would have spoken very highly of this sort of choice right? <laughs> You're taking the action you know, the character expressed through action he would this is this is very much a, a great man brought low by his by his hubris yeah and you can tell talk about great man brought low by hubris like or by great man brought low <laughs> i love the 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 throw up scene the vomiting scene yes where, where <laughs> he reaches up and gets the the towel which first of all is how gus threw threw up Yes, yes, thank you for yeah, thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And of course the towel is purple, which is the color of royalty and the color that Walt took to wearing after he killed Gus. He wore like sort of dusty purple shirts a lot, right? Yeah, like yeah. And, and purple pants and because he's the king now. And so he takes the kingly thing and he puts it on the ground, he's the king is on his knees and he's puking when he discovers that he has this huge problem this huge like threat well, I mean, in in the show color tones because all of the characters in the show have have their distinct colors as has been playing in the past purple is also marie's color mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. so i mean and when uh when hank sneaks the copy of leaves of grass out of the out of the house he does so in i, I believe it's marie's bag because it's sitting on the counter while they're out at the picnic and it's it's got a big purple swatch on it so i'm, I'm just presuming it's marie's because everything she has is purple mm-hmm. so <clears throat> I mean, it's that's also very much a callback. And in fact, those in in the continuity of the show, those towels were probably a housewarming gift from Marie or something like that. But uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole time together. Like you know, Hank and Marie's family is is the source of his downfall, and he realizes this while he's you know while he's sick to his stomach. I just thought of something that 
that is completely random and goes back to the beginning of this episode, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Maybe in the Star Trek story, Walt is all three characters because he throws up like Kirk, (laughs) and also he wants out like Kirk did. He like, I have had enough. I'm out of this business. And he's supposedly Spock because he has total control. But he's also kind of Chekhov in a way because he's always the one who has this like ridiculously convoluted plan in order to get something, uh, you know, for himself that he could have just done if he just like worked hard and just ate the pie like a normal person but instead he has to do all these crazy things with science and that leads to him you know getting his guts coming out of himself uh whether into space or you know into the toilet or Mm -hmm. i guess Mm -hmm. you know maybe in chemotherapy it's gonna be like destroyed it is it is very much an episode about you know deeply held toxins suddenly suddenly being forced out like you know hank hank realizes a number of things that he's missed about you know someone who he considered someone who is family like his brother-in-law someone who's family to him and it brings on another panic attack like he's so overwhelmed by it like he can't control his body anymore uh walt's cancer has come back so he's he's physically ill jesse i mean we never see him sick but he clearly looks unwell the point that Saul comments on like it looks like he's right on the verge of either throwing up or passing out for the entire episode he's he's in pain from the the guilt that's sort of consuming him so and of course there's you know check off and the, and the vomiting and, and Kirk etc so it's, it's very much an episode about you know consuming too much and having to having to confront it all very suddenly yeah. Is this sort of where the blood money maybe comes from or what the sort of blood money resonates with this idea that the things that they've done have been incorporated into their physical bodies in some way? Yeah. That, like that there's a physicalness, a visceralness uh, that has to do with health or unhealth or the balance of the humors. Yes. Right? Perhaps like that, that, that's, that can't be escaped. The idea that the money is, is gone, the money is laundered, the money is clean. Well, no, everything that happened is part of you and you're carrying it with you. And it's, it's not something that can go away. Um, yeah. it's, kind of, it's kind of an, especially compared to like gliding over it all, right? Which yes. is sort of like what we, what Walt aspired to do was to just sort of like flow over everything. Hmm. Right, like um sing his body electric and all that nonsense yeah. um but yeah geez i mean like closing that garage door <laughs> oh boy the punch was for me it, it made me very happy um <laughs> before the episode i said to myself that i would uh think it's a, a decent episode i would be satisfied with the episode if i was able to say holy moly at some point <laughs> and at that point i was able to say holy moly <laughs> so oh, there you go <laughs> Awesome. Well, that's wonderful. Um, great. Well, yeah. Any any other any final thoughts for you, Parrish, on the uh, on the episode? So, I mean, obviously, this this isn't the last we've seen of Lydia. I think we can I think we can stake that pretty clearly. So that's that's something we that's something we didn't touch on. That the uh, that the the meth enterprise that that Walt set up in the Czech Republic is clearly falling apart without his supervision. Like the, she mentions when she comes in, like a sixty-eight percent, which I presume is a reference to the purity of the product, and like, and she's she's trying to entice him to come back. So, obviously, that I mean, that's that's something we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to revisit. But uh, I, you know, I don't know how or where, but obviously, it's you know, it's not the last we've seen of her. Yeah, I mean, I guess what we can make some predictions, like what levers can Walt pull? I mean, he's in that room with Hank. You know, what is what tricks does he have left up his sleeve? Uh, I mean, I guess other than going back to the meth business, he doesn't seem to have many allies 
left anymore, anybody he can really turn to other than Lydia. So clearly there needs to be some sort of reconnection there. I guess there's the, there's the gang in Phoenix, right? Which is getting yeah. distribution. Uh, there's Lydia and the, the people at the, at the corporation, the German corporation and the, the Czech drug dealers. And, right, um, and Saul, Saul might know a guy, although I think even Saul would balk at going after a DEA agent. Mm-hmm. I, I still think, though, that um, Walt can get uh, Hank to back off just for a little while by reminding him that Hank gave him a lot of money earlier in the show, and that could be used against him. Like, oh, uh, you're going to turn me in? Well, I'll tell them that we were in cahoots and you were my inside man in the DEA. Um, but I don't think Hank is going to give up very easily. I think that um, just as Walt, for his ego's sake, needs to always be in control and be in charge of a giant empire, I think at the same time, Hank, um, like his very sense of being is all wrapped up in getting Heisenberg. So I, I think uh, that no matter what, Walt is, is in a pickle. I mean, one of the one of the little throwaway moments that I really loved was when Saul's assistant said to Saul, uh, "Your barn door is open," <laughs> which to me, which to me conjured the idea of like, well, you're trying to close the barn door after the horses have left. Right? Sort, of, sort of what Saul tries to do all the time. Yeah. Like, let's let's make this all okay, and it's like it's a little bit too late to make this all okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, um, so I guess the barn door remains open. I guess he did zip it up. So yeah. we didn't get any any of Odin's Kirk uh, in, the, uh, in the in the episode. <laughs> well, isn't that the whole point of Saul though? Is he's one of those attorneys who you call after you're definitely guilty, and there's no way he's going to get you off, but at least he can take your money. So I guess <laughs> yeah. that's like his value in society. That's his job. Is well, yeah, that that is, and laser tag investment. Oh, of course. <laughs> and there was uh, there was one other there was one other bit. Uh, like just before that, when when Jesse's when Jesse's sitting in the office and uh, and he pulls out that pack of cigarettes to sort of provoke the security guard into uh, to sort of provoke the security guard into like letting him in, and there's a shot of the security guard looking at the pack of, of at Jesse's pack of cigarettes and like you see his eyebrow you see his eyebrows go up for a second like this bit of reaction and do I have the chain of events right because wasn't it at the end of season four that like and and we never actually see this on camera, but Jesse, I think Jesse presupposes the the chain of events such that you know when he's frisked by Saul's security guy that that's when he planted the rice and cigarette on him, and that's how what's her name's son got it and got into the hospital, and that's that's why he accuses Walt initially of poisoning. Uh, Brock oh yeah, yeah, son. yeah, and Walt's like no 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 this was clearly Gus let's go let's go murder him. And of course, it turns out that it was actually, you know, spoiler alert, it was actually Walt that did it. So I wondered if that wasn't perhaps like meant to be a moment of recognition. Like, you know, the security guard sees Jesse with that pack of cigarettes like, wait a sec, didn't we, didn't I? No, okay, that's good. All right, we're done. Like just that momentary recognition. Yeah, but Walt didn't poison the kid with the ricin, right? Right. Well, Walt poisoned the kid with the lily of the valley. Lily of the valley, right. But I... But yeah. I, mean, I feel like there is like Jesse could be like, hey, these cigarettes, right? Like you, you know, we have a history with cigarettes. Do you think the question is, is Huel on board with that reference, or does Huel not know what Jesse is talking about? Yeah, I mean, you're right, we, and we never definitively establish how Walt poisons Brock. We just, 
I, it, it, the show just makes very clear that he did. Like that's that's the reference we get that ends season four. So I mean, and we never we never quite establish how like whether Walt just shows up on the playground like, hey kid, eat this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Go go go. But uh, but yeah, we're we're clearly meant to believe that. So maybe Jesse's version of events isn't. So I mean, I'm just I'm just reading into it. But uh, but yeah, that was my take. What do you think is going to happen with the racing since it's been how many seasons in play as this Chekhov's gun, Chekhov again, I guess, um, <laughs> that is never or, yeah, I, I think in my mind, uh, Walt didn't use the racing to poison uh, the kid. It was definitely the, yeah. the valley. So in that case, the racing is, uh, still has not been used, but clearly is, or if Walt isn't going to use it, he's at least going to try to use it at some point this season very yeah. soon. So w- any Walt's, ideas? Walt's got some plan for which he needs uh, what looks like an M60 machine gun and poison. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to put the poison on the bullets. He's going to be shooting at somebody who has superpowers. <laughs> like, typically, whatever problems you have as a drug lord, you solve one way or the other. Ne- rarely both. You rarely have yeah. both avenues covered like that. So I yeah. don't know what he has in mind. I think I think he's going to take the ricin. I think Walt, or at least Walt's plan is to commit suicide by taking the ricin and then like go down in a blaze of glory with yeah. the machine gun. Um, like like Scarface style, which we know is a, is a resonant image for him. But of course, knowing Vince Gilligan, they'll find some way of totally surprising us. Although yeah. they also do it in familiar ways, just like we got to see Walt in his tidy whities yet again. Yeah. Just like in the very first episode. Well, uh, yeah, I'm hoping it's like in the first episode where he thinks he's going to be shot by cops, but then they just pass him by. And he's like, but I wanted to die. Oh, well. And so he lives on mm-hmm. in his underwear with the raisin, <laughs> I guess. And so must we all live on in our underwear and our other garments as well. Um, we're really excited that we've got this whole uh, half season, this whole half season of Breaking Bad ahead of us. We'll be coming no at you with <laughs> exactly. We'll be coming at you with these recaps on a weekly basis. They're generally going to come out like late Monday, early Tuesday. When Rather gets his act together and watches the rest of the show, then he'll be joining and hosting. But until then, I'll be your cruise director. Uh, and all that remains now is to thank the panel. Thanks to to John Parrish. Absolutely. And thanks to Shana Malowski. Thank you, Pete. Oh, you're welcome. And, and also and John. And what? And also, also John. And also yeah. listeners. And, and also Vince Gilligan. Yeah, and Vince everyone Gilligan. else yeah. in the world. That's right. Because we're all about the love here at Breaking Bad Recap. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> and if you're all about the Breaking Bad love, then you can find this and more by visiting us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably doesn't deserve. Guys, no one told me how to turn this thing off.